Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running the rest of their lives. And today's show is brought to you by Megaton Coffee. Megaton Coffee has an absolutely awesome taste and has double the caffeine of a normal cup of coffee. And why is that important? Well, if you're an early morning runner like me, having a little coffee before you go off your run is really cool, except you don't want all that sloshing around in your belly. That's why Megaton Coffee is so good. In addition, if you're just having a normal cup of coffee, it's just going to be cheaper because you're only using half the amount you normally would. So give Megaton Coffee a try at megatoncoffee.com. So this episode... We have the recent winner of the Hartford Marathon, Rachel Shilkowski. This is just an awesome, awesome episode with Rachel. As soon as she agreed to come on, I could not wait. Why is that, you might ask? Very simple. She is one of, if not the most real elite runners just around. She's unbelievable. The realness she brings online and in this podcast is second to none. We dive into a whole bunch of different stuff, and she brings the candor, just honest, frank answers. And uh, yeah, this is why this one was so long. She was, we almost went uh, 80 minutes on this episode, and every minute of it was worth it. I can't thank her enough for coming on the show. I have no doubt that if you're listening to this intro, that you will find this one of the most entertaining episodes that we've had here on the Rambling Runner podcast. And without further ado, here is the episode with Rachel Shilkowski. Hello, Rachel, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. Hey, Matt. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. It is an honor to uh, to be on a podcast. I listen to so many, um, so it's very neat to sort of be on the other side. Wow. That, that's awesome to hear. Thank you so much for doing that. It's always kind of cool when I ha- reach out to somebody and they're like, I'm a big fan. I'm like, oh, shoot, man. I'm oh, yeah. That. So, well, I mean, thank you. as soon as you had Jill, uh, Jill Deering on the show, I was like, all right, I got to listen to this. And then I was hooked. Well, she is. She's a stud. Oh, I mean, she, she is. She does it all. She is like sure. a superhero. She is hashtag goals. Yeah. Yeah. And also just a sweetheart of a person. Yeah. Among, just, among, among all the accomplishments. Yeah. Her, Monica, just everyone who works there is just wonderful. Well said. Well, I would say the same thing and do say the same thing, I should say, Rachel, about you, because I can't wait to talk to you about a lot of things. But normally I don't just like list off someone's bio at the beginning of an episode. But I'm going to do that if you don't mind. In oh, ours, OK, because because <laughs> I don't because like I feel like we could do a whole episode on like what you did before 2018. Aww. But I want to focus a lot on what, we're, what you've done recently. Okay. So with that in mind, instead of spending half an hour just talking about that and then diving into the into what you've done recently, let's just go through it. So, OK, so um, you started, you kind of got back, got into running around 10th grade. You kind of converted from from soccer to running and then ultimately placed in 2010, third place at nationals in the 2000 meter steeplechase. And then went on to Cornell, mm-hmm. five time All-America, three time Ivy League champ at the 3000 meter steeple and still holds the record. I do. 
I do still hold it. There's been a couple, a couple women in the last couple of years who are dipping down there, but I retain my title as of now. I love it. All right. So you got a bachelor's in biological engineering, a master's in mechanical engineering. And then after graduating, you're now sponsored by Rabbit and Topo. We actually had Tony Post on. Yep. uh, I listened to that one too. Yeah. There you go. Member of the New England distance team earned a spot. On the USATF 2018 cross-country team that, that went down to El Salvador by placing ninth at the 2018 USATF cross-country championships, set a half-marathon PR in March of 2018 in 115, and now qualified for the Olympic trials by winning the Hartford Marathon in her, for her marathon debut, 241. Congratulations, first of all. That is awesome. Thank you very much. So that is, that's a lot. There's a lot there. It sounds like a lot when you say it. It sounds, yeah. Well, I I left out a lot of stuff, right? I basically went from college to 2018. So you've done a whole lot of stuff. So I think first thing I want to talk talk to you about is just the decision that you made to give up the steeplechase. You kind of retired from the steeplechase and got into road racing uh, in earnest. Um, So what was that decision like for you? What were the factors that that led you to, to make that decision? Oh man, Uh, that was a big one. So it's a long story, but thankfully this is the rambling runner podcast. So in my last race in a Cornell uniform, um, I was actually in the UK. So every four years, Cornell and Penn go over to the UK and we compete against Oxford and Cambridge. And so that was the end of my senior year. And it was my last race. It was the last day of the trip. And I was in a steeple And two laps in, I just came down in the water pit wrong. And I sprained my left ankle so badly. Had to drop out of the race. This thing blew up like a balloon on the flight. It was awful. So I came home from that and I couldn't run for like a month. No, like two months. And two months later, it finally started to heal. um, And I could run again after that. And so, but I guess it just never really quite healed right And I also just was really afraid of re-injuring it. So a year later, I went to start to steeple again. I was like, all right, it's outdoor trek, time to steeple. Um, I'm Rachel. That's what I do. And the first one that I did back, I just like the race started and I was like, I'm terrified. I don't know what to do, which had never happened to me in my entire life. And um, yeah, partway through that race, I was coming up to the water pit. And I was really nervous about landing on that left ankle. So I kind of stutter stepped at the last second to try to take off on my left so I could land on my right. And I ended up tripping over the barrier and I supermaned into the water pit. And there is photographic evidence on the internet of this, uh, which is great. I think this is going to be the podcast graphic. (laughs) Oh, yeah, definitely. (laughs) Um, And it, I mean, it like happened in slow motion and there were all these people around and it just got really quiet. And it was just like horrifying and traumatic. And so I got back up and I like started running a little bit. And then John like pulled me off the track. He's like, nope, we're done. So that just like just got the ball rolling downhill so fast. So I didn't steeple again that season. And then now, did, you, like- did you, I'm sorry to cut you off, but in that time, were you practicing the water jumps? Like, did you have anything like this happening in practice? No, no, it had never. And I mean, I'm trying to think like going into that, that first steeple back in 2015, I had done hurdle drills. I had done hurdle workouts and I think I had done a couple uh, practice water jumps, but they weren't great. But at that point I wasn't, I wasn't so afraid of the water jump. I was more just afraid of hurting my ankle, 
But then once I had that really bad fall, then I just became terrified of the water pit. Like I, after that happened the next year, I went to just a track nearby and just tried to do a practice water jump. And I just couldn't, I literally stood in front of the water jump, just standing there for like 20 minutes and like crying because I just couldn't, I just had this huge mental block. I would just stare at it and I just couldn't even like remember what I was supposed to do. And so that was just like really hard and really sad because I like steepling used to just be my thing. It made me so happy. I felt like I always knew what to do when I was out there. And then it was just like all of a sudden I was just gone. And I I was finally in last year, 2017, I was able to put together like a couple decent races and actually made it to nationals, which I don't even know how that happened. And I had like a decent race there. And by decent, I mean, I didn't hurt myself and I got through all of the water jumps cleanly. Um, but yeah, after that, I sort of just said, you know what, I think we're just time to be done. It was just not, it just wasn't the same anymore. And it just made me really sad that it wasn't the same. So it was just like you mentioned, just part of your identity, like Rachel, Rachel, the steepler. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was like my thing. Like I did it all four years of college, you know, started in high school, which not many people steeple in high school because there's only, I think three, three or four States in the country that have it at their state meet. And New York state is one of them. Um, So yeah, for just for years, it was like, I mean, that was the thing that I did the best at. That's the thing that I did um, well at, at the NCAAs. So it was, and it was just the thing that just, it just made me so happy. I felt like it was really well suited to my strengths as a runner. Um, And I just, I used to tell people like I was put on this earth to steeple. And so just sort of. Yeah, I mean, you can go back and ask my college coach. Like, I would say that all the time. I just felt like someone made this event for me. So then just sort of having that, like, slowly deteriorate and see my confidence just turn to crap. And then and then ultimately, the hardest thing was it just, it just wasn't enjoyable anymore. Instead of being excited about it, it just made me afraid. And so that was, that's when I knew it was time. Yeah, I was actually talking to Holly Hughes a couple weeks ago. Who, oh, yeah. Um, so she, she basically started at Buffalo, uh, University of Buffalo. Her first year was the first year they introduced the steeplechase. Oh, man. So she was, she was into it. We were talking about how, like, it was unfortunate for her, like, in retrospect, because, like you, she loved it. But it was unfortunate for her in retrospect, because, like, we are now in, like, the golden age oh, of man. women's steeplechase. <laughs> so, like, I have to ask, like, knowing that, right, like, you have a, suddenly you have Courtney and you have Emma who are, like, are these very, like, high-profile runners who are doing great things in the steeplechase, not only nationally but internationally. Do you have a little, like, that, like, fear of missing out type feeling? Or have <laughs> oh, you completely no. put it past you now? Um, I mean, maybe a little bit. I mean, it's it's first of all, it's just incredible watching them. And I do still, I do still love to watch it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess not so much because I, I don't really know that I would have gotten so much better in it. I think the reason why people like Emma and Courtney and Colleen do so well is technically they are head and shoulders above like most of the rest of the world. And that was never me. I was never the best hurdler. I more just like willed myself over the barriers Um, and so at a certain point, I mean, I, I guess I hurdled well enough to do pretty well for myself at the NCAA level, but at a certain point, if you're not technically proficient, it really starts to be a hindrance. And so I'm not really sure how much better I could have gotten. So 
that makes me feel a little bit better. Like, I don't think I was ever going to run nine ten, So I think I can just be excited for them um, with what they're doing now. There you go. And it's not like you weren't a, a high level cross country runner in college either. I mean, you were, you got all American in cross country. You got, what was it? Top, you had 16th, 17th, 18th, something like that uh, in, the, in the national championship. I think it was 14th my okay. senior year. Yeah. So that was yeah, the so, so obviously you were at a very high level. That, that's a huge accomplishment. So um, the fact that you just won a marathon in your debut isn't shocking, considering you, you were able to do that in college. What you said was like, wasn't even like your priority necessarily. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's been really exciting these last couple of years, sort of as I've been slowly saying goodbye to the steeple. Um, sort of realizing that I can do other things and that I am good at other things that yes, that was something that I was really good at and that I really loved, but I'm not a one trick pony. Um, so I think just realizing that for myself in the last couple of years has been really exciting. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of not being a one trick pony, one thing I left out of your bio is that you, you work full time at the RIH orthopedic foundation as a test engineer. So you work full time. And this is a huge deal because a lot of people who are the elite runners um, in the United States, their full-time job is running. And obviously for you to be an elite, which you are, you have to put in the same kind of hours as a runner while still doing um, a full-time job. So talk to a little bit about just what, what kind of mental fatigue do you have during the day and how does that impact or correlate to physical fatigue? Hmm, that's a great question. Um, I think that was something that I really struggled with early on in my like professional career is like, accepting the fact that being at work is something I had to factor into like my training and into just my daily like stress load. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's definitely times where I go to work and I feel super tired. Um, I do all of my runs in the morning and all my workouts, unless I'm doing a double, which I do in the morning and then in the afternoon. So there's definitely days where I'll run like 10, 12 miles at 6 a.m. And then I go to work and then I'm on my feet all day. And I'm like, wow, I am really tired right now. I wish I could just go home and take a nap. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's definitely times where I'm tired uh, at one or the other or both. Um, but I guess I try not to think about it as like making me making me tired. I try to think as each one as sort of like a break from the other. So running is this thing that I get to do and I love it and I don't do it because I have to, and I don't do it because, you know, my livelihood depends on it. So it can just be this great release and this thing that I do just for joy and just for me. And then on the flip side, my job is something that I also enjoy in a different facet. And it's something that is, you know, my career and it's going to support me. Um, and so that can be a break from, you know, when running gets stressful, um, I don't have to worry, oh my gosh, well, I had a bad workout. If I have a bad race, like I can't pay the mortgage. So, um, feeling like I have a different sort of thing in my life to pour myself into, I feel like it's good and it helps me be balanced. That's a great point. You definitely don't have the, as much pressure necessarily on your running as some of your peers may have with oh, that yeah. being the case. <laughs> With that being said, there have been so many studies that show that mental fatigue directly correlates with physical fatigue. So, like, you're almost forced into being a morning runner as opposed to being, say, doing 12, you know, 10 to 12 high level miles after work. Because, like, you know, I think some of these studies, they show, like, people, like, 
you know, like 90 minutes either doing like a Stroop test or like watching a documentary. And they like, had like, you know, the people who did the Stroop test had like a 20%, you know, earlier fatigue, earlier to fatigue, um, you know, workout as opposed to people who basically were showing like, showing like a bland, you don't even have to process type documentary. Mm-hmm. And you uh, see stuff like that and you're like, Oh, good grief. Like that, w- what does that mean for like various professions or people who have to juggle both? So for you, was there ever a choice for you about being an early morning runner or an afternoon runner? Obviously if you do doubles, you do a bit of both, but in terms of like your high level workouts. Yeah. I honestly do not know how people, do like their legit training after work it I I mean I get home from work and it's all I can do to just do my four mile double um but yeah I mean and it's it's really strange because in high school obviously everyone has practice in the afternoon um but then in college too practice was at four thirty every single day that was you know all four years Monday through Friday um but I don't I, I don't know I guess I just I graduated and then it just I Maybe I tried to keep that afternoon schedule, but I just, like you said, I just felt like, wow, you know, I've been at work for eight hours and it's such a drag. And I found myself often thinking about my run. And if, if, if it was a workout or a longer run or a harder run, maybe getting like too preoccupied with it or like getting nervous about it. So I just sort of started just waking up in the morning and just going and doing it. And then there was no, there's no thinking about it. There's no overthinking it. Um, and I also just find that it's a really great way to start my day. Um, I just, I feel more alert and it just feels good to just wake up and move and then sort of set the whole day up that way. All right. Can we talk about the logistics of the morning run? Because we have a <laughs> yes. lot of people who listen to this podcast, including your host, who's a morning runner who gets it done before work. So like what time, like, so it's from like time you wake up to like time you run and like some of like your pre-run does not, not TMI, but sort of like pre-run stuff that you need to do in order to be ready uh, to get out the door while still trying to maximize your time on your feet and not just be like lollygagging around the house. Oh yes. I mean, so we are, we are like super efficient here. Well, at least, all right. I should say I am super efficient, John, not so much. So (laughs) most days we wake up at six. Uh, If I know I'm going to have a longer workout, something with like lots of, repeats and reps maybe we'll wake up at like 5 30 but usually six so alarm goes off at six and if john is running with me which is only sometimes i have to like literally force him to wake up but we are like out the door by 6 15 because like you said Whoa. don't yeah like we do not have time to lollygag around i mean especially in the last couple months when i was running these like 100 mile weeks i mean every morning was at least 10 miles and that takes a lot of time so he would be like brushing his teeth and putting his shoes on i'm like john i have to run 10 miles like i will leave you so yeah we're like like just up and out i mean i'll eat maybe like a bar a granola bar but don't drink anything um no coffee no pre-run coffee sadly it has to come after so yeah, we are like out the door. If it is six twenty, I am in a bad mood because we are late. I can relate to that. I think we all can relate to that. <laughs> like you know, as soon as you pass this like line of demarcation, wherever yes. you, wherever it is for you, it like all of a sudden like the stress like starts to get starts to amp up like yeah. very very quickly. Yeah, it worked out a little bit. So like I said, these last couple months, my mileage has been really high, and he hadn't been that high. So eventually, I was just like, you know what? I'm going to go do two or three miles. You need to be ready at 645 when I come back. And we found that that was a good, a good way to do it. Then he could take as long as he wanted to like roll out of bed. 
And then I could feel like I wasn't wasting time and it was good. And everyone was happy. So that was, that was a good compromise. Yeah. Everyone's morning can be so different. Yeah. You know, it really, it really can be. So that's interesting. So do you do anything in particular before you go to bed to set yourself up for success in the morning? I, I literally just like pop up out of bed every morning and even on the weekends too. Like I just, most times I wake up before my alarm goes off. So like this morning, you know, Sunday morning, normal person would just want to sleep in. It was like six o'clock and I was like, all right, I'm up. Like, and as soon as I wake up, I'm just like ready to go. Like I can't fall back asleep. I just like pop up and I'm like, all right, let's just start the day. So I don't know. I don't remember always being like this, but I definitely am firmly in the morning person camp at this juncture of my life. And you said before we even came on the show that you usually go to sleep around 10 o'clock. So you get a solid eight hours of sleep. So it's not like you're sleep deprived when you're doing your morning workout yeah no we definitely I mean 10 is like that is like the hard cutoff I'd say if we're being good we're like starting night things by nine like to be in bed at 9 30 maybe reading a book or something and then hopefully all like at, asleep by 10 right right so it's the reason I brought up the nighttime part was that sometimes I find that if I have you know, maybe a big workout the next morning, you know, big by my standards. Mm -hmm. It's like, I usually will like have some food before I go to bed. I don't even know like if it does anything for me besides like it calms my nerves. Like I'll be ready for tomorrow. If I have like a granola bar right before Mm -hmm. bed, like I'll have like something, you know, so it's not like I'm like fasting from say six o'clock to six o'clock. Oh yeah. Expecting my body to be like, you know, primed and ready to roll. Yeah, no, I'll definitely have like a snack or something. Um, and yeah, like in the morning before I'll, I'll usually have a bar or something. Um, I have a pretty strong, pretty strong stomach when it comes to like eating food right before races and workouts and stuff. So yeah, I'll just like stuff the bar in and then just like start running right away. So that definitely helps. There you go. All right. So going into 2018, you know, you had made a decision. Okay. No more steeplechase. You're, you know, you're roadrunner. So, I mean, you were on the track too, but like you, you had, had different goals, different perspective on where you want to take your career. And then in March, you get your, uh, you run the, the 115 half marathon PR. Mm-hmm. When you did that, where did that equate for you in terms of your goals and where you thought you'd be at that point in your career? Uh, let's see. So that was, yeah, that was March, March of this year. Um, so I did that actually down at the new Bedford half marathon, which is just over in mass. I've run that one. Oh yeah. Um, so then you know that the weather there is always absolutely atrocious. <laughs> Except for the one year I did. It. Oh, really? I think I, I, I got the one good year. Oh man. Well, I got one of the many, many bad years. So that was, what had I done? Um, I had just come back from the NACAC team that you mentioned, the one in El Salvador that was at the end of February. So then I took a a little break. And then I was sort of just building back up. I had only done a couple workouts, but I was still very fit from the cross country season. And I just decided to jump in it. It was local. Um, and so I want to say for the first like nine miles, it was going great. And I was on pace to run like one fourteen, And then all of a and sudden, it's, a, and it's such a flat first nine miles. Yeah, It's like, you can just cruise on that course. Yep. But then uh, at nine miles, you sort of make this left-hand turn and then you go back up the coast. Yes. And it was like a 30-mile headwind and I literally just like started walking. I went from running 530s to being like 620 and it just got – it got bad. There were some tears. There was a pity party. It was was not good. 
So, um, yeah, but then with like, I don't know, like a half mile to go, I looked at my watch and I did the math and I was like, oh, wait a minute, I could still PR. Like maybe I should stop feeling sorry for myself and like run a little faster. So, so that's like, that's like the hill going up into town. Yes. Yep. Okay. So, so that was a weird day. Cause it, I mean, it started really great and then, then kind of fell apart there the last four miles, but it was still like a 45 second PR. Um, so yeah, so that was, it was definitely encouraging to know that one, having a lot of things go wrong and two, not having the greatest buildup that I could still sort of be uh, at that level. Right. Okay. So you, so you did that and then did that change how you viewed your first potential marathon? Like what, so you, you know, you, once you do that, you obviously are, I'm assuming looking at the fall and saying, okay, this is when my first marathon was going to be, is going to be when you started your buildup for Hartford, did you have a certain goal pace or goal range from a time perspective in mind, or do you just stick to the plan and just like maybe make those decisions, maybe 10 days to 14 days out? Yeah. So it, I mean, there's a lot of people who have run in that 115 to 116 range who have run, um, up in the marathon around 240. So I thought, you know, like other people do it. Um, maybe that's somewhere that I can be, but I definitely didn't like just think, Oh, you know, the formula is take your half marathon, multiply it by two plus 10, you know, that's what you'll run. So I, I definitely didn't think anything was a given, but, um, I've always really loved my long runs and like long runs with workout elements in it have always gone well. So I was optimistic that I could, do well in it. Um, but yeah, I mean, the goal was always to try to hit the B standard and I did do a lot of my training. I did most of my training at, uh, around six minute pace, which is the pace for 237 with a standard kind of just thinking I would be somewhere in that range. Um, but yeah, I know for sure what would happen i was hopeful and optimistic but it still just felt like this great big unknown this big possibility and you run with the new england distance team which is based out here in rhode island did you have anybody on that team that was also training for the marathon that you could kind of like judge your training against or is that something you try not to do um, so I'm on the team and my husband and I are on the team, but we actually don't train with anyone. Um, cause everyone else on that team is more of like a true professional in that they don't have full-time jobs. So they train at like nine or 10 in the morning. Oh, um, isn't that so, nice? Yeah. Isn't that nice? <laughs> they get to drink all the coffee before they run. So no, I did, uh, like probably 90% of my training by myself other than when I could like force John into doing a tempo run with me. Um, so I didn't really have too much to base it off of either. So yeah, that was, that was very challenging too. So it's, it was just so, so much unknown. I mean, I'm coaching myself. I have no training partners. I'm sort of just like making it up as I go. So there were definitely days where I was like, I have no idea if I'm doing this right. Like I have no idea if I'm ready. Can I even run 26.2 miles? I guess we'll find out. So yeah, I don't know. Well, I think there's a lot of mental strength to be gained by doing a lot of these workouts by yourself because the, the, I say that because there's obvious benefits and demonstrated benefits um, in a lot of studies that, you know, running in groups, especially for a workout, can have a positive benefit on your performance, which means obviously the reverse is true. 
right? If you're doing them by yourself, it, t- it takes a little bit more effort, especially from uh, a mental toughness standpoint. So do you feel like, like that at all? Obviously, you came from a college situation where you were running with your, with your teammates every day at 430, like you said, training by yourself. Did you notice any, you know, either, either gains in mental strength by doing these workouts alone, a lot of them? Or, you know, conversely, have you also had those moments where, like, you know, it was just hard to, hard to get through a workout because you were there by yourself and it was easy to rationalize curbing it? Oh, yeah. No, it's definitely um... – being able to work out by yourself and push yourself in that way, it's definitely something that I think you need to like work on. And that is a skill that you need to hone. So yeah, it definitely, I mean, I think it's made me a lot stronger. Um, it definitely paid off in Hartford because I ran the last 18 miles by myself. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'd like to think that it's, um, is something that makes me stronger. And then I can sort of pull out of my back pocket that if something like Hartford happens where it very early on in the race, I find myself alone that I don't have to freak out and I don't have to say, Oh my gosh, I need someone to hold this pace. So I try to just see it as a positive and try to draw strength from it that, you know, I can, I can do this by myself and, Yes, if I was doing a workout with someone else, maybe I could go five seconds per mile faster, but I sort of have to look at the the positives that I can gain from it. And as you said, it happens more in like that mental strength category. Yeah, I think it's also the other benefit of working with other people from time to time, especially if they're like a little bit better than you, either generally speaking or like on that day. It's like the idea of like competing. Mm-hmm. Right. You say, okay, I need to stay with this person. And, you know, and you just kind of like, you have that competitive nature in you. Whereas yep. if you're by yourself, you don't have that. But it's also like, I like imagine like Rocky four, where like he's in <laughs> Russia by himself, like, just, oh, like yeah. in the woods, you know, it's like, he doesn't have anybody. He's just training on his own. Where like, he's able to do that because he's trained already so much in his life and built up a lot of uh, sweat equity and just fiction, but yeah. it, that, that helps as well. But, uh, so for you, do you also have that? Like you've, you've done so much training in your past that you can just like rewind the tape and just like kind of, you know, I guess if, if you're struggling, like bring back those moments where you fought through. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I don't think that 16 year old Rachel who was just starting to run for the first time could, do workouts at a high level by herself um, or anything like that. So it definitely is something that I think I've like learned how to do um, over the years. And I think having really great coaches throughout my life, like in high school and then in college, I think they helped me um, sort of like learn how to push myself in that capacity, uh, especially at Cornell. So my junior year, I had like the world's greatest workout partner. Shout out to Katie Kellner, who was also a professional runner. Um, but then she graduated. She was a year older than me. So my senior year, I ended up doing most of my easy runs and most of my workouts by myself. So that was a really big learning period. Um, and my coach really helped me figure out like, how to how to be successful on my own like that. Um, and I feel like that translated really well to once I graduated and became a post-collegiate and still ended up having to do a lot of stuff by myself. And you mentioned, uh, you know, j- just before that you coach yourself. So what was that decision like? I do. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just, 
it's not that I'm opposed to being coached um, by someone. I just haven't really found the right situation. I, like I just mentioned, I had the greatest coaches in high school and then in college. First, uh, Steve Arnett in high school and then Artie Smith in college. Um, and I don't know. I just haven't quite like found that same environment. And I don't know if it's because if I did find a coach, it would probably be someone online. And then that's like not the same. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I also though, I just, I feel like Artie taught me so much, not just about running, but about myself and about how to like work through things on my own. Um, so I feel like he gave me a lot of tools to be able to, um, at least for the time being successfully, coach myself. So after I graduated, I worked with him a little bit, probably for about a year remotely. Um, and then we just hit a point once where we were talking and he was like, you know, Rachel, you're kind of driving the ship here more than I am. And I was like, really? And he was like, yeah, like I, I think you're ready. You know, I think you know what to do. And I was like, okay. So, I mean, I still call him sometimes and I sort of bounce ideas off of him. I like to say that he is my advisor. He advises me as I coach myself. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's been working. It's been working out pretty well so far. So for the time being, I'm going to roll with it, but I'm definitely not opposed to um, working with a coach. Just need to find the situation that feels right. You're right though. It definitely seems to be working. That's for sure. You had a great <laughs> year this year. That's, there's no doubt about that. Um, no, thank you. One thing that you are very open about is that just online, you are very like, all right, this is who I am, like completely unfiltered life, right? Online, which is like, I think something that a lot of people gravitate towards, especially for you. Like, I, I'm never, I'm never going to forget this. When I put online that I was going to interview you, I have never had a response <laughs> like I had when I did that. Like, obviously you have a lot of followers, but it's not like, it's not like, you know, Kara Goucher level following, yeah. right? Oh, it's yeah. not like this insane amount, but I put that out there and within an hour I'd gotten like 20 DMs, like, thank you. This is going to be awesome. This is going to be great. So now you're hyping it up so much. I now. know, right? This is it. I'm, I'm cutting this part out. It's going to be the trip. No, that's um, okay. So with that being said, what about being so honest, open and transparent online um, just felt right to you to do that because there's obviously a, a potential cost in doing that, especially for someone who lives a life in the public eye from a running perspective, like your times are your times, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? So people can say, Hey, how did she do in that race? And they can just go look it up. You know, there's yeah. no, they can just remove all the context if they want to. So what is it like for you choosing to be so open and honest? Um, and what does that mean for you? Yeah. Um, I've always been someone, as my mom likes to put it, who wears their heart on their sleeve. It was always like that person growing up where if I was mad, you knew I was mad. And, you know, if I was really happy, I was like bouncing off the walls excited. So I feel like it sort of just came naturally that I don't really hide my emotions well anyway. So I was like, why try? Like, and then also just trying to be like honest with people. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I think social media is great and it's really changing the way that our sport really works uh, for a positive way, I think. Um, but there certainly can be pitfalls to it. Um, you know, we've seen time and time again, 
things that, you know, aren't, or they aren't what they seem. And people get this idea about, you know, things that look perfect and people put, what do they call it? Just the, the filtered version of their life. Um, and I just, I don't know. I just don't, I just don't want to do that. And um, so as you said, yes, it definitely, um, not so much comes at a cost, but it can be a little scary sometimes, um, just like being open and honest about like hard things. But I think the super positive response that I've gotten from so many people definitely gives me the confidence and the courage to just keep, keep being me and, um, yeah, to just not, not be afraid or ashamed of that. Yeah. And I think like someone who's has like a sanitized social media presence, it's not necessarily a negative per se, mm-hmm. but it's so it's very transparent. Yeah. So it's like, all right, I know this person's just doing X, Y, Z. Again, this is their choice. They can use social media however they choose, but it's also very transparent when someone is not doing that because they're showing the flaws, which is also, it's so funny because like, it almost comes across as like, wow, like you're being vulnerable now. That's like such a big step. But like on some level, it's so much more endearing. Like I feel like it's so much easier to connect if you are vulnerable in those situations um, because so many people are like, yes, that's exactly how I feel. Or I've gone through the same thing or, or can just relate in some, some, some way or another. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it goes both ways too. I mean, I definitely take lots of strength from one seeing other people who share their struggles about just anything in life or running. But also, you know, if I say something or I open up about something and then someone just leaves a simple comment that says, oh, my gosh, you know, I felt that way today, too. Like, thanks. Like that reinforces me. That makes me feel better, too. So I feel like it can really be a win win. Like you're just building this community where people support each other and build each other up. So it definitely, I mean, in my eyes, as I said, it really does just feel like a win-win. But I do, I do think that some people, um, some professionals maybe don't have that luxury. And that's something that I hope other people realize. Like I get a lot of people who will say, thank you so much for being so real. You know, someone once said, um, thank you for being real in a sea of fake, which was like a really powerful statement. And so, um, I really appreciate when people say that, but I do think that it's a little bit easier for me to be, uh, so open about stuff just because running isn't my, my whole life. It's not my whole career. Uh, and I think for for some people who maybe are at, you know, the top, the top of the country, the top of the world, um, there can be some fear of retribution, I think, for being super open about things. So I, I would just ask that people keep that in mind that when they think people, you know, aren't being open about an injury or something like that, that those types of things can have, um, can have drawbacks, you know, sponsors don't want to sponsor you if you're always injured or groups don't want you to come with to them if you have, you know, some other issue or something. So it can definitely be hard, I think. Yeah, that's true. It can definitely be a complicated situation. It's not as simple as like, do you want to share or do you not want to share? Yeah. yeah there's definitely mitigating factors, but it's funny because I, I was talking to Aaron Strout about this, who writes for runners world mm-hmm. outside online. And just about the nature of connecting to professional runners 
is one where like 15 years ago, there was no personal connection to professional runners. It's oh, like, yeah. It's like, like, unless you were a marathoner, like all the big races were international. And then like, even for a marathoner, it's like, what are you going to do? Like walk up to them, like in the corral, you know yeah. what I mean? Or like after the race, like, it's like, even then you can see them run by, which is so cool. Or you can run with them in that matter of speaking, which is also fun, but you don't have that personal connection. It's almost like WNBA players. Like they spent half the, half the year playing in Europe. Mm-hmm. So you don't even see them in the, in the off season. So yeah. it's such a it's such a different thing where social media allows for this level of connectivity, which 15 years ago we just didn't get. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really wonderful. I forget sometimes that, you know, like I'm going to sound like such a millennial when I say this, but I forget that like social media hasn't always been around. And when um, I hear people talking, you know, like, oh, yeah, back when I started running, they didn't have Facebook and like we didn't have you know, any of these things, I think, well, how did people know who you were? How did fans like support you? Like if even people who are going to the Olympics, like, nope, how would people even know, know who you are? And I think, yeah, like the advent of social media becoming so big, it's given such a great window for people to just not just to see how fast someone is or what great workouts they do, but to really get to know them as a person and be able to get behind them when they race. And so when they go out and they have that great performance or that great race, you have all these people who are so excited for you and they want to share it with you. Or conversely, when you go out and you have that really crappy performance, you have people who are there to pick you up and who also know, Hey, you know, you've had 10 other great performances. Like this one performance does not define you. Um, so yeah, I think it's, I think it's wonderful and I'm really excited to see how it will continue to grow our sport, um, specifically here in the United States. I think it's, uh, making big strides. Yeah. Like I think, I think the Des Linden story from 2018 in Boston is like the perfect example of that. Oh yeah. So many people like felt a part of that win. Yeah. Yep, when absolutely. She won. Because yeah. she is like she is herself online, right? She mm-hmm. is that dry, sarcastic, humorous person who doesn't take herself too seriously. And then to see her to do that, and to see her do that was like not only was it an awesome performance, it was going to be celebrated no matter what. But mm-hmm. I think a lot of people, a lot of amateur runners, were like, "Yes, like I've been rooting for her for years." Yeah, we're like, absolutely. You necessarily you wouldn't necessarily have said that about like Anne Hurd in like 1983. Yeah. No, I, uh, I secretly watched that from my desk at work. And then like at the end, when she crossed the finish line, I was just like crying and my coworkers are like, are you okay? And I was like, it's just so beautiful. And (laughs) people just gave me the weirdest looks, but it was so great. Yeah. And like, yeah, I mean, people have been able to follow her and share her story and seeing her some come so close you know back in what was it 2011 2012 like yeah like so many people were rooting for her and I feel like that was just such a great story of just you know as she says like keep showing up but I feel like it really gave so much hope to people like as to why do we run and why do we keep why do we keep pushing ourselves and it was like that's it right there because eventually it's gonna pay off and you're gonna have your day and yeah, I feel like she just her whole story just did such a great job of showing that. Right. Because if that happened 15 years ago, we would have gotten all of that. But it would have been in like the Sports Illustrated feature like a month mm-hmm. later. And yeah. you like you get the backstory after the event. Yeah. As opposed to like 
this like cumulative, like knowing it before it happened type appeal where like when it's happening, you can revel in the moment as opposed to look back on it with nostalgia. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it sounds silly, but like during the race, I was just like watching the Twitter feed and just seeing so many people like going crazy. People who are like, I'm not crying. You're crying. Like Deslin's about to win. <laughs> and it was just like, it was just so exciting to see. I mean, obviously she, she was racing, so she wasn't there like watching it unfold. But it was just like, it was just great just to see so many people who were celebrating with her as it was happening. Um, yeah, as you said, rather than a month later being like, oh, this woman won Boston. Like, that's cool. Like, no, it's, it was so much bigger than that. And I think social media played a big, a big part in that. So one thing that you posted this week caught my eye because you talked about sort of like your, your, you know, your person in the mirror moment like a week before the Hartford Marathon, it was like this prime example of someone being very open and honest and transparent, not like the day it happened, but like shortly thereafter about, you know, kind of like just kind of like putting it all out there in this, in a very vulnerable way. And at the same time, like it completely hit home. I'm sure for a lot of people, I know it hit home for me. And I would, I'd love for you just to share, first of all, what happened there and just like, and that we'll kind of discuss that as we go into like what happened later, like a week later at the Hartford Marathon. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, working, working backwards, I guess, like after the race, I had shared so many pictures, you know, finish line pictures, smiling pictures, pictures with giant like checks and stuff, which don't get me wrong. All of that was very true, happy emotion, but I just felt like it was important to show that, you know, it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows the whole time. And yeah, a week, a week before the race, like 10 days or something, um, had probably like the lowest moment of my entire training cycle, where it was just like a combination of nerves, you know, it was like, all of a sudden, it was almost race day, and I was starting to freak out. And I just like had a day where I came home from work, and I don't even know, I like came home from a double and I was just like in the bathroom, just in a pair of like shorts and a sports bra and just like looked in the mirror and just felt zero confidence. Just like did that thing where you just like stare and just pick yourself apart. And it was just, it was so demoralizing. Like, I don't know. I just felt like I had done months of training and I was like, but it hasn't done anything. I was like, you know, I don't, I don't feel fit. I'm not ready. Like, what am I doing? And I just like, I don't know. I just had like a total, total breakdown. Like, John knocks on the door. He's like, Hey, let's get ready for dinner. And he opens the door and I'm just like there, you know, in a puddle of tears. Um, yeah. I don't know. It was just, it was just a rough moment. Now, what standard were you holding yourself up to at that point? Cause really this is just a comparison game. Oh man. I mean, I had made that, I had made the mistake of, you know, if you Google someone like, like a Shalane or something like that, um, you know, their stats come up and most often it's got, you know, their height and weight. And I just, I went through like every single runner that I knew, like who goes to the Olympics or who run, you know, these fast times. And it was just like mortifying because many, many people are, you know, like 
110 pounds. <laughs> um, and I just like saw that and I was like, all right, well, you know, I'm an engineer. I took physics. I know how, you know, F equals MA works. And then I sort of just like got myself down on that. I was like, I am. You're going to need a lot of, you're like, I need a lot of acceleration. Yeah. I was for, like, that, for that, for that equation. Like literally it is physics. Like if you want a certain effort, but you like, if, if you weigh 30 pounds more, like you literally have to work harder to move at the same speed. And so that just like, that just kept playing over in my mind. And I was like, wow, I literally, you know, yeah, like I'm 138 pounds. Like I, it's like you running around with an extra leg. Um, and I just like, I don't know. I just let it get me down. And just thinking that like, that is, I don't know that that is what I had to look like. And that because I did all this training and ran all these hundred mile weeks and my body hadn't changed at all that I was like, all right, well, you know, how can I be fitter if I like, if I don't look any different, I guess is like the crux of the crisis. Right. One quick tangent. I once had a physics professor that said, if you put F equals MA for any physics answer on any test, you'll at least get partial credit. Yeah. Oh yeah. That was totally a tactic at, Cornell, if I got a question and I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing, you just write down every equation that you know, just start plugging in random variables, just partial credit saved my butt. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, exactly. All right. So going back to what we're actually talking about. Yeah. Um, so how do you get yourself out of that negative cycle? Uh, let's see. I talked to my college coach a little bit that night. Uh, I talked to the aforementioned Katie Kellner. Um, and I just like sat down with John and he, I mean, he's wonderful. And he just reminded me of all the good things. Like you are strong and you are beautiful. And, um, just reminded me of all the hard work that I put in and just that it doesn't matter what I look like compared to other people, because this is, you know, this is my body and I have different strengths that maybe someone else doesn't have. Like I am incredibly durable. I don't, you know, knock on wood, I don't really get injured that much. And um, so, yeah, just trying to sort of help pull me back from the brink and remind me that um, I don't have to look like anyone else in order to, to be successful. So, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely went to bed that night feeling like I don't want to run. Like It's going to be the worst thing ever. But when I woke up the next day, I feel like, getting it all out had been good. And I sort of, I woke up and then I had a good like mini taper workout. And then that sort of got like the ball rolling back in the right direction, like positive momentum started to build. And I think it was, it was very freeing to sort of have that moment as much as it was like not fun in the moment. I think it was good to just acknowledge that I am nervous. I have these fears, I have these doubts, but that's okay because I'm a human. And then once I sort of like let myself feel all of that, then I could just sort of move on. And that just made way to just be excited about the race and about whatever was to come. And you bring up an interesting point that you were basically going online and looking at all of the physical metrics of Ugh. your peers. Don't do which it. brings up an interesting <laughs> point. Because that means that you basically had no one to like look at and say like, well, they did it, so I can do it, right? There was no person that you looked at, at least in that story, where you like, all right, well, you kind of pulled yourself up, be like, well, this person did it, so why can't I? Which is like interesting now because you have like, shoot in the New York Times today, mm-hmm. you have this article Allie Kiefer. about Ali Kiefer, right? So the story's been told, you know, you know, dozens of times for people in the running community. 
But, you know, I think with the New York City Marathon right around the corner, obviously, New York Times was going to do something like this. Um, but it's another, you know, kind of like body positive type feature article with Ali Kiefer as this as the hub. And when you see something like that of like the someone who's not only like obviously it's all relative, right? So like yes. obviously you and Ali Kiefer are very fit people. Mm-hmm. Like you are, you know, you are, you're in excellent, excellent shape by any standard. But compared to the Shalene Flanagan's of the world, yeah, you know, just happen to look different. When you see something like that, and you also, I love how they talked about, like, I'm kind of like going all over the place here, but I love that okay. article, how they talked about how sometimes when talk, bringing up this topic, people use the word strong as a euphemism oh, for yeah. something else. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that something else can be a variety of different things. But they said, like, no, she's strong. Like, take your quotes and you shove them, you know, where yeah, yeah. like, that's just like, she's just strong. It's not a euphemism. Yeah. Have you, what's your experience been with that as well? Because like, you are also like you talked about with, when you were a steeplechaser, like you're just strong period. End of sentence. Yeah. So have you, have you noticed that as well? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, yeah. I mean, I definitely feel, uh, feel grateful for every she's done and just like watching her um I mean I I ran a race with her well she came in second in the race and I dropped out of the race uh earlier this year in September but yeah just like seeing her um and seeing what she's doing is very encouraging just to know that yeah I mean she runs 229 like I don't know exactly how much she weighs um it's not all about weight but I I do feel that like our our uh our body types are more similar. So yeah, I definitely feel very encouraged by, uh, by everything that she's doing and what she says. Um, but yeah, I've definitely gotten that before where it's like, Oh, you know, you're just, you're so strong. And yeah, where you can tell you're like, all right, what are you really trying to say to me right now? Um, but I try to just, I don't know. I try to like flip it around in my head and say it as to myself, like, all right, they're saying, you're just strong. Maybe they mean it as, you know, you're a little bit bigger, but then I try to just say, okay, well, I'm more durable. My, I, my body is more fueled. I am less likely to get injured than you or, you know, just like things like that. Just trying to, just trying to like pump myself up. Right. And if anything, you can just get, you can get a little snippy with them. Be like, you know, what weighs a lot, my five all American medals. (laughs) I love that. <laughs> My three Ivy League championship trophies win. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. All right. So so going into the race, going into Hartford, I actually I've run two marathons. That was one of them. Oh was, really? So I've run that one. Uh, I'm just, I assume the course is, is relatively similar. You basically head out of the city, run north, then run south, and go back into the city. Yep. Um, it's the world's biggest out and back. <laughs> there you go. Um, so going into the race, what was the race plan for you? So the race plan had a dramatic change the morning that I watched the Chicago Marathon. (laughs) Um, So that was a week before. So John and I watched and we followed a lot of people's like online splits. And I just saw so many people go out super hard and then blow up. And that like put the fear of God in me. I was like, all right, that is not what I want to do. So like I had mentioned earlier, I did a lot of my training at six minute pace And so originally that was the plan. I was just going to go out, see how long can I run six minute pace. But I got a little bit of cold feet and I was like, you know what? Let's just ease into this thing. 
So in the days leading up to it, I decided that for at least the first 10K to 10 miles, I wanted to just be a little bit more relaxed. Um, and so the goal is to be closer to like 610, uh, which is what I did. I think my first like eight or nine miles I averaged, I was like 607 or 608 pace. So the goal is to just not go crazy and not do anything stupid in the beginning and then sort of just see how it unfolded. Like, you know, I had never done a marathon before. This was going to be uncharted territory. So I kind of wanted to just be relaxed and then just like let it happen. So even though you went out a little bit more relaxed than you originally anticipated, you were still by yourself for 18 of the miles. Yeah. So, so when you started cranking it up, what was that like? And did you, uh, did you kind of progress downward? Or did you just start to hover around the, the 5.55 to 6-minute pace? Yeah. So for the first eight miles, I was running with the woman who ended up getting second. Um, I had done my research ahead of the race. So I knew that she was very good. And I knew that she was also trying to run an Olympic trials qualifying time. So I was kind of hoping that we would be able to run together. But we sort of, it just like didn't quite click. Like she would surge and then I would surge. And we were kind of like battling with each other. And I was like, it is way too early in this race to be battling. So in the ninth mile, I sort of just like, like sped up just a little bit just to sort of get some like space and I just got into this really great rhythm in like the six to you know 605 range and I don't know it just like started clicking I honestly just felt like I was in some like crazy trance where I just like my body just like knew what it was doing and I just ran and I just felt amazing and then you felt amazing all the way to the finish line. No, that is false. <laughs> I felt amazing for like 14 or 15 miles. So from not from mile nine until 23, I averaged 601 pace. And all of the mile splits were like very, very even. It was like, you know, between 557 and like 603. And I just felt like this metronome where I was just, I was going and I felt good just focusing on like my breathing and being super positive. And it was great. And then around like mile 23 or mile 24, I started having some serious GI issues. And I was like, oh man, it's happening. Like I had heard horror stories. And I thought when I got past like mile 20, I was like, all right, we're going to get through our first marathon unscathed. This is great. And then, then it all came, it all came crashing down. So yeah, I, um, I have IBS. And so I'm like not a stranger to having digestive unrest. Um, but yeah, this was it just like all of a sudden I just really had to go to the bathroom. And uh, it got to the point where like, instead of focusing on like, where's the next mile marker? I was like, where is the next porta potty? Like, maybe I should stop. I must have seen like five or six over the last three miles. And at yeah, ev they're everywhere. I saw yeah. three of them when I ran the Hartford Marathon. At I know, I know exactly where they are. At every one, I would like look at it and I'd be like, maybe I should stop. Like, I'm going to stop. And then I would just go by and be like, ah, maybe the next one. And so that was really distracting. I, I don't know. I like, I was trying to do math in my head. I was like, well, what will take me longer if I stop and go to the bathroom or if I just like keep running kind of uncomfortably. And I ultimately decided that I could make it, which disclaimer I did. So that is, that is great. But yeah. So, I mean, that's the only thing that's a little, a little, not even so much frustrating, but it just makes it a little hard to interpret. So I did slow down those last couple of miles. I, I went from running like low sixes um, 
to, I think I ran like 612, 616, and then I dropped a 632 going up that stupid hill. So definitely slowed down. But oh, the exit ramp? Yeah, that was rough. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know. Who puts that there? Who puts a hill in mile 26? That was just cruel. I think so, I came to terms with like my death on that. <laughs> yeah, there are, there is photographic evidence of me up that there is, it's, it's really great. Um, but anyway, where am I going? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously I didn't feel great. It was the end of a marathon. My legs were starting to feel a little heavy, but honestly, I think more of the slowdown was just one. I was kind of like physically uncomfortable in that you know, GI department, but it was also just like, I really lost my focus. Like in those miles in the middle, I just was in this rhythm, like on cruise control. And I was just like super focused on what I was doing. And then once all of that sort of hit, like I stopped thinking about trying to maintain my effort. And for the first time, the idea of like, all right, just finish this thing, like just finish it. Like, don't, soil yourself and so it's like once you're focusing on that you're not really focusing on like maintaining a pace or like pushing yourself in a different way so it's like one person only has so much mental energy and my mental energy was diverted to another place well I love how you describe how like your other mental energy um, moments and then other ones you have where you're like trying to come up with different foods to start oh, like yeah. A to Z or like what is it it was like I couldn't even the fact that you even like did this had me laughing I was out trying loud. to name the, the, all the 153 oh yeah I thought it was like the 151 Pokemon or something the like original that. Pokemon that one was hard because I don't know half of their names I just know what they look like so I abandoned that one pretty quickly but the 50 states kept me kept me busy for like an entire long run, which is really sad to say. I don't know if it's just because I was like on the go and like my brain wasn't quite like working right. But it literally took me five tries of going through A to Z to name all 50 states. I just like I just kept like missing ones. I The first time I went all the way through and I got to like 44. I was like, 44? Where are these six states? And then I just felt really bad for all the people who live in those six states. Like they're people too. So yeah so so wait did these have to be did you have to say them in alphabetical order or were you doing any order i was doing it in alphabetical order which i realized later was probably more different or sorry was more difficult i probably should have just gone like geographically because then i could like picture them on the map but alphabetical was hard like yeah let me ask you how many states do you think there are that start with an m that start with an m yeah um uh see we can't count new mexico right no cut, all right um that, all right i'm not gonna think about too hard four it's eight. Oh god damn it's it. <laughs> so many so like i would go through the first time and i yeah i mean i would get like most of them and then i would go through again i'd be like how did i forget that state like my best friend lives in that state so but it was very entertaining and it kept me busy for for quite some time so so that was good I love it. That's a good one. That 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 is a good one. That makes sense. Um, it's also a really bad DUI question. So you can't get it right sober. Like, good yeah. luck getting it. Oh my gosh. Way. Yeah. Um, all right. So this is so encouraging. So you ran two forty one, first marathon debut. Did it basically by yourself. Um, so what's on tap for the future? Like, what do you have from like a long term long term goal? Whether it's one year to three years out, and what races are you looking at that you want to do? Whether it's marathon or not marathon related. Oh man, I, I just want to run all the races. I literally cannot wait to run another marathon. Like I was that person who, as soon as I crossed 
the finish line. I was like, when can I do this again? So yeah, I like, I feel like I am, I am hooked. Um, I don't think I'm going to become one of those, like, you know, do a marathon every single weekend. I will show some control, but yeah, I, I, I can't wait to do, to do another. So now it's sort of just a matter of working backwards from the trials. So that's, it's like February 29th of uh, 2020. So it is my intention to be there. My parents have already said they're going. I think they just want a vacation. Um, but yeah, so from there, I definitely don't want that to be my next one. Cause I, I still feel like I have so much to learn. Um, you know, got to get a handle on these GI issues and maybe try going out a little bit faster and I don't know, maybe try actually running with people. Um, so I definitely want to do at least one or two more, uh, between now and then. So, um, I haven't picked any official ones yet. I have done lots of looking. If you were to look at my like search history, it would just be like race site, race site, marathons, marathons here, marathons there. So I'm definitely obsessed. Um, so what are the primary factors you're considering when making a choice? I don't know. Um, like no. this one, you obviously was like, it's more of a local thing. So you don't have like the elite crew. Yeah. So but I, it's also besides like the last couple of miles is relatively flat, which is nice. Yeah. For this one, I wanted to pick one that was relatively close to home. I don't know. In the past couple of years, I've like had some instances where I'll fly out to like a really big race and then it just goes really poorly. Um, and I don't know. I mean, maybe it's because like, when you fly out there, you put pressure on yourself. So I kind of just wanted it to be a little bit more low key. Like lots of people are like, oh, you should go to CIM. I was like, that's one of the biggest marathons in the country. And everyone and their mom is trying to run an OTQ. So I kind of just wanted a more chill setting for this first one. Um, and I like the idea that, you know, I could just drive there. Like it just kept it very, very cool. So that's why I chose Hartford. So I think for the next one, um, I don't know. I don't know exactly. Um, I mean, a flat, a flat course would be, would be nice. Um, I do think I am capable of running a lot faster than 241. So obviously if you have a flatter course, then you, um, that's more likely, um, prize money never hurts. Not going to lie. So that's, <laughs> that is a factor. Um, and yeah, I don't know, but I mean, I think I definitely want to find one where, I would have people to run with and whether that's women or men, I don't really care. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't want to have to do a whole nother one sort of by myself. Um, it would be nice to just to see how I can actually like compete over 26.2 miles. Cause like, I, I really, I have no idea. Like what if someone had come up on me at, you know, mile 20 or 24, like I didn't get any experience seeing how I could have responded in that, um, in that moment. And I think that that's like a really important um, part of it. I, in, I mean, I was racing those first couple miles where I had company, but then after that, I feel like I really was just more like running a marathon. So I think I need practice actually racing a marathon. That makes a lot of sense. Well, thank you so much for all of the time that you've given us today. This has been such a great show. I really appreciate it. So first of all, let me say thank you before we dive into the last few questions I like to do in every episode. Um, but if someone wants to follow you on social media, we just talked about it and I'll put the link in the show notes as well. But where can they do that? So uh, my Instagram handle is Rachel and her laces. And that's uh, a 
nod to the shoelaces that I wear in my hair when I race. And Twitter is Rachel N her laces because Rachel and her laces was too many characters. So it's very frustrating that they're not the same. That really bothers me. But uh, yeah, so just Rachel, the letter N her laces. And that's really the only social media. I don't, I don't know. Are there other things? I don't have a Snapchat. People are like, you should get Snapchat. I don't even know what that is. Yeah. I feel like most people abandoned it. At least in our, okay. at least, at least in like, you know, in my age group, once, once IG stories came into vogue, it was like, Oh, thank God. I don't have to pick up another social media. I can just do this instead. All right. Sweet. I feel decidedly less bad about not having one. I once did an IG poll, like who was on Snapchat. And maybe it's like it's self-selective. Like if someone's on IG stories, they're like automatically not going to be on Snapchat. Yeah. But it was like five percent on Snapchat. I was like, okay, it's sold. Nice. I'm so glad. I'm so glad this went the way it went. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So if you're going out for a run, are you going headphones or no headphones? I've been rocking the headphones a lot. I'm like, I listen to so many podcasts. Um, yeah, because I mean I do all my runs by myself and I like run so much, you know, when you run like a hundred miles a week, there's just like so much time. So yeah, I'm, I'm headphones and all the podcasts. All right. So what are some of your favorites? Oh man. So I'm, I'm so nerdy. Like I listen to all the running podcasts. So there's yours, there's Allie on the run. Uh, I'll have another with Lindsay Hine, man bun run, see Tolly run, uh, the Philly Yang podcast. <laughs> like I literally just listen to all the running podcasts. Um, so yeah, so I like. I'm actually. I'm, I'm going to be on the Sea Tally Run. Oh, you are! Oh, I recorded so... it last week, so not. Oh. So I think yours. This might come out the same week that I come out on Sea Tally Run. But she oh, was great. Like, what? What a fun person to talk to. She's, She's great. so fun and just like so spunky and yeah. So I. I mean, some people would probably just be like, "Don't you just want a break from running?" But no, I just. I just eat it up. I love. I love hearing about other people's racing and their training just their lives and it's just just great there you go billy yang's is great too he doesn't come out as often but he takes pretty deep dives oh yeah people. his i mean it's just like so well done and he's so thoughtful and i really like listening to his and and the negative splits although you know they are they've got their own vibe there but i mean i feel like since i started listening to to them, I've learned so much about ultra running and I'm just like so in awe of that. So I think it's really, really great to just like learn about people that you maybe don't hear about, you know, the, again, the Shalane Flanagan's who are so prominent. Like it's been really cool to just learn about, you know, the people who ran Western States and, you know, other races. For sure. For sure. Okay. What advice do you give other people about running, but have trouble following? Oh man. Uh, rest days, <laughs> rest days are hard. <laughs> um, in college, my coach literally had to like force me to take a day off or like force me to cross train. So I'm, I'm, I'm definitely getting better about it and like listening to my body. Um, but I have to sort of like, if I know that I need a day off or if like something's bothering me, I have to like trick myself into being like, okay, your hamstring hurts. You need to take off one day now so you don't make it worse and have to take off five days later. It's like, do you want one or do you want five? So then I pick the one. So, um, but yeah, definitely resting and taking easy days really easy. I used to like hammer all my runs in college at like 630 pace. And that was, that was not good. So take it easy. 
Yeah, twenty year olds do what twenty year olds do, man. Oh, they man. all do it. I don't even know how how I did that and still functioned as a human being. Like I, if I can break like seven, I'm like, all right. But yeah, it just you can't go hard all the time. It just it doesn't work. No, it catches up. That's for sure. Yep. Um, all right. If you could only run one more race for the rest of your life, but you could run it every year, what race would that be? Like a distance or a specific like actual race? Like an actual race. Oh, man. An actual race. Oh, this is, this is hard. Um, maybe I should just say Hartford since that went well the first <laughs> time. I don't know. Um, I'm trying. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that one. Okay. Nothing, nothing. No. No hometown race you have a particular affinity for. Oh wait, no. You're all right. Well, it maybe it would be Bowden Park. I don't know. Do you know where Bowden Park is? It's the cross country course um, uh, along the Hudson River. No. Oh, so that's like that was like our home course in high school, and that's where uh, like the state qualifier would be, and that's where the federation meet would be. So it's like the one of the biggest cross-country courses in the state of New York. And so I don't know if there's like a specific race that I would run there, but like that was my place and oh, that was like home in high school. So if, if I could go back there and run like a county meet, that would be awesome. Oh, that'd be funny. You should just jump in, see if they recognize you. I have always said that I want to go back. And so in high school, the big thing was if you could break 19 minutes in the 5K on that course, I ran like 1909 my junior year. And since then I've like, I've gotten a lot faster and I, I've always said that like, I'll just go back on just like a random day and I'll just run it to see if I can break 19. And I've just like never gotten around to doing it. And part of me is just like scared. I'm like, what if I can't, like, what if I can't break 19? So I don't know. It was just like, I built it up so much in high school, but like, I need to just go do it one of these days. Like just get like really fit and then just do it and prove to myself. That's it, man. You just go back there, you do it. Then you go to the Hyde Park brewery and you just pound every beer they make. (laughs) Exactly. I will pound 19 beers in honor of breaking 19. That's it. Exactly. All right. Um, Other end of the spectrum. What's a, what's your bucket list race? Ooh. Um, I mean, at some point, I feel like I do really want to go to CIM just because everyone says it's such a great race. And there's so many women who would all be trying to do what I would like to do, like run in that, you know, mid to low 230s. So, um, yeah, I mean, just watching like what people had done last year, it was just really inspiring to see so many people running together and getting their OTQs together. So I think it would be great to sort of just get in a pack of women and just like push each other um, to just achieving something really great. Yeah. And last year, a hundred women broke two. I know a hundred. Yeah. And like 45 ran under two forty-five. I mean, it was, it was just crazy. Like, that's just like, it just like must just be this great ball of energy that everyone's just like feeding off of. And I, I just think it would be so fun to just, get in there and just toss my hat in the ring and see what I could do in that kind of like super incredible environment. Exactly. All right. Last one. Who's your dream running partner? Oh, my dream running partner. Um, and we can just assume that they'll run at 6am for the sake of this question. I mean, it's probably just John. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I mean, sometimes he doesn't run with me in the morning cause he doesn't like to get up. So if I could have like, John 2.0, who was a morning person, everything else is the same, 
but he loves mornings as much as I do. That would be great. There you go. Isn't that sweet? Yeah. (laughs) Rachel, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was so much fun. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. As I said before, it was a pleasure to be on, uh, on the other side. I do not know if I will listen to this one on one of my runs. Um, I feel it's like hard. I... It's hard to listen to yourself. Oh, God. This, I can't even listen to my own show for that very reason. It's like, it's like, uh, you know, when you, you program your voicemail message. Yes. And then it and sounds like, weird. And you're just in shock by what you sound like. Yes. It's like that for the first yeah. five minutes for sure. Yeah. So we'll see. Maybe, maybe I'll like get a lot of wine and then I'll listen to it. So. There you go. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it and have a great night. All right. Thank you. You too. Bye. Thank you, Rachel, for coming on the show. I had an absolute blast recording this episode. I really did. I didn't want it to end. And if you like listening to it, please share it with your friends. Tag Rachel and I. We love seeing and hearing the feedback. That's for sure. Also, big shout out to Citizenry for sponsoring this episode and Megaton Coffee. If you go to citizenrypodcast.com, slash runner and use promo code runner you can save fifty dollars on any purchase of over two hundred dollars or more check that out citizenrepodcast.com slash runner also megaton coffee i drink it i love it give them a shot thank you so much for listening and happy running